For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report highlights the Winter Circle. Stephanie Phillips continues her conversation with Taylor Adam, Beginner Farmer Program Manager at Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension. In this segment, Now You Know, Taylor talks about the animals farmers choose when starting their farm. We top off our show with an audio clip from Brent Habig, sharing thoughts on labor at Two Creek Regenerative Farm. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. First, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. Former GOP presidential primary hopeful U.S. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina has endorsed former President Donald Trump. The endorsement comes just days before New Hampshire primary voters cast their ballots. NPR's Franco Ordonez reports. Tim Scott dropped his own bid for the White House in November, and all three of the top remaining candidates, Trump and Haley and the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, were seeking his endorsement. Among Republicans, Scott is popular, he's influential, he's also the only black Republican in the Senate. We need a president who doesn't see black or white. We see a, a president who sees Americans as one American family. We need The move is fueling speculation that Tim Scott might become Trump's choice for a running mate. And it's a blow for Nikki Haley, who appointed Scott to the Senate when she was governor of South Carolina. Franco Ordonez, NPR News. In Gaza, more than a million Palestinians have packed into the southern city of Rafah to escape the fighting with Israel. Thousands have begun sleeping in tents and makeshift shelters, driving up costs for materials and sparking concerns about sanitation and disease. NPR's Becky Sullivan reports from Tel Aviv. Before the war, a nice tent in Gaza might have cost about $50. Now, Palestinians tell NPR they're spending as much as $800 on tents or the materials to make them. The United Nations says there's a shortage of 50,000 tents in Gaza. UN spokesperson Juliette Tuma says they've given out some, but not enough. We ran out early on and we're not getting enough in and we should be getting more in. Conditions in the tent camps are bad, Palestinians say. It's been cold and rainy. There's no running water or bathrooms. Ayman Barr, who evacuated to Rafah from central Gaza, says, All I want is to live in dignity and freedom and to be back in my home, if only it is still standing. Becky Sullivan, NPR News, Tel Aviv. A special legislative session in Louisiana has ended with passage of a congressional map with two majority black districts that, in response to a federal court order, Molly Ryan with member station WRKF reports. After more than a year of political wrangling over the state's congressional map, a federal court gave Louisiana a January deadline to redraw the map in compliance with the Federal Voting Rights Act. That forced Republican Governor Jeff Landry to call a special session and compelled lawmakers to pass a new map with two majority black districts. Landry had urged the Republican-dominated legislature to pass the map before a judge created one for them. He is expected to sign the bill. That could bring in into the state's long-running legal battle over redistricting. For NPR News, I'm Molly Ryan in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This is NPR News. 
Welcome back to Farm and Country. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. On today's show, Stephanie Phillips continues her conversation with Taylor Adam, Beginner Farmer Program Manager at Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension. In this segment, Now You Know, Taylor talks about animals farmers choose when starting their farm. We top off our show with an audio clip from Brent Habig, sharing thoughts on labor at Two Creek Regenerative Farm. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard and this is Star Talk. The winter circle is composed of seven bright stars spanning six constellations. The winter circle is centered around the most conspicuous constellation in the winter sky, Orion. Orion dominates the southern sky throughout the night during winter. To find the winter circle, locate the brilliant blue star Rigel on the lower right side of Orion. Travel clockwise to find the southernmost and brightest star of the winter circle, Sirius, in the constellation Canis Major. If Sirius is at the 6 o'clock position, then the next star, Procyon, is at the 8 o'clock position. Procyon is the brightest star in the constellation Canis Minor. At the 10 o'clock position lie the duo Castor and Pollux, the brightest stars in Gemini. Heading up to the 12 o'clock position is the northernmost star in the winter circle, Capella. Capella is in the constellation Auriga the Charioteer. Auriga resembles the shape of a house that we all drew in grade school, with Capella being the bottom right star of the base of a house whose roof is inside the winter circle. Continuing around the circle, we arrive at Aldebaran, the star that marks the angry red eye of the bull in Taurus. Going from Taurus to Rigel completes the winter circle. The winter circle is high enough in the southern sky to be seen around 9 p.m. and can be found in the evening sky through the end of March. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Stephanie Phillips with Farm and Country. My guest this morning is Taylor Adam, Cornell Cooperative Extension, Sullivan County. She is a beginning farmer program manager, so she manages programs for people who want to become farmers, or maybe who have started to become farmers. Taylor, what kind of animals do beginner farmers tend to grow? I think it depends. So I feel like everyone loves chickens. <laughs> and I feel like that's an easy start. Two types. You can have laying hens or broilers, which are meat chickens. You can have a small flock and still get a good amount of eggs. I think 
another animal or two animals that have become popular, which I also recommend the one often, is if you have land that's not yet cleared. So if you buy land and it's like all woods. There's a lot of things that humans try to do that we're just not good at because we're humans. While there's animals out there that are good at those things, for example, pigs, they are literally meant to root and dig up boulders and dig up dead tree trunks and find things that you will never find because you do not have a snout. And I think that's a useful animal. If you have uncleared land, you have woods, you don't know what's going on, they'll clear out spaces. And I've seen pigs clear out boulders and tree trunks to an extent that the next year it looks like a pasture inside that like sheep could go through. So I think a way to think about bringing in animals, especially when you're starting out, is animals are partners in works. If there's things that you can't do, like dig up a boulder without using a large machine, what animal could help with that? I know a lot of beginner farmers really like goats because they also are really good at clearing out land, but they can't do what pigs do, which is like the working of the soil. Goats, in comparison, can get up higher. They can eat things that you would have to cut down. Goats will also eat a ton of stuff that sheep won't eat because they're foragers. Sheep are grazers. So goats will eat things that sheep will be like, no, that doesn't sound fun at all in my mouth or my <laughs> stomach, while goats will eat it. Pigs can eat poison ivy, so that can like clear out your land. Yeah, animals are really resilient. And that's why a lot of people do multi-species operations, because if you include them all, they're all eating different things. And then you're managing that land in a way that's like managing it all. So I think chickens, people love sour chickens, I feel like. More poultry, like ducks, those are things people I feel like like. I know a lot more people with quail recently, really? which I had never raised quail. But I think pigs and goats also considering clearing land or trying to clear land in a way that instead of just using machines. Okay, so the farmer gets going. Mm -hmm. So, Taylor, when does he decide to give up on a particular animal? I know this was a sort of an issue with goats with my daughter and son-in-law who started farming next door to me. Yeah, I think that's always hard, and I take what I say with a grain of salt. I was a livestock farmer, and I had to make some tough decisions, so I think that's also a reality. For me, I think it's easy to keep animals when they are no longer productive. If you're selling animal products like meat or eggs or something like that, you have to think about how productive they're being and are you making money off of it still or are you just feeding a pet? Which is fun to have a hundred chicken pets, but that costs a lot of money. I think another thing is you don't always have to be a pig operation. You can start off with pigs, they're helping clear your land. And then once you have that land cleared, you're like, okay, I'm done with pigs because they helped me do this role. And now I'm going to pull away from that animal. So I think there's a way to think about it as what roles do you need support with and where can animals fit in? And if that task is finished or no longer needed or if they somehow become a problem, which animals can be, they like to get out, they like to explore other places. I think that's another way to determine. And I think it's also thinking about managing animals. If it's becoming too difficult or if the fencing you have just isn't working, that might be a time to step away. Or if you don't have enough room anymore. You really have to play into those different pieces. But I think production, because it's easy to keep all the animals after they're no longer productive. I've had to deal with that. And I think it's also what role are animals playing as your partners and if you need that role still.
because that's what animals are. They're partners in farming. But Taylor, what would you do with pigs after, after you just got your land cleared? Why would you stop growing pigs? Well, I mean, if it's no longer, if they, if you were growing pigs just to clear your land, and then once your land's cleared, you had another production that you were planning on doing there. Like, your land is cleared, the trees are gone. Now it's time I can do my vegetable production like I was planning. Things like that. And there's a lot of ways to be done with animals. You can process them for meat. You can rehome them if you're really sad about it. <laughs> I've rehomed a boar before because I just couldn't do it, and he was so nice. But yeah, so I think it just depends on what your production plans are and what your goals are for your business. So you mentioned plants. Taylor, what kind of plants might a beginner farmer consider growing and how can he or she assess which ones would bring good return? I think that's a hard question because there are so many plants out there. <laughs> I think it's when starting, like we talked about, like figuring that, that niche in the market, those gaps where you can sell stuff in, I think you should consider what you want to grow. And then I think another reality is when you start, you're going to plan stuff and it's not going to work. And that's when you start really finessing what works and what doesn't work. And I'm, there's so many plants out there that you might have some stuff do phenomenal and flourish on your property, or you might just have like significant pest pressure for your broccoli or something. And it's like, okay, so broccoli is just not going to work. We're losing too much. So I think at first it's just figuring, I think you just have to test it out, which is hard to say because it's a little scary. <laughs> and I think from that you really figure out what works for you, what works for your business and what works for your land. It isn't always the same one year after another. How do you deal with that? It's not the same one year after another. And I think that's one of my favorite parts of farming. There's no consistency in a bit. You can plan so much. And I think knowing things are changed and years aren't the same after each, you're just always modifying. You're always, I think the best word is adapting your business to what your customers want, what your land can take, what you can do. It's just a lot of adaptability, and it's a lot of, what would I say, not critical thinking, but like problem solving on the constantly. I joked with my mom about it. I was like, I think I liked, I liked farming so much because I was always problem solving in the moment. And I think that's a big part of it is like you just have to identify where there's issues, identify the problems, and try and solve them to the best of your ability. But it's nature, so... So basically, you're just saying you just try it and you see what works. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. And I think that's what a lot of people do. <laughs> Taylor, can you help a farmer decide whether to invest in some kind of a seasonal extension device, like, say, high towers, high, what did you high tunnels? High tunnels. Yeah, so I can always help assess if that works for your business. Um, there's also the NRCS, the National Resource Conservation Service. They have a grant specifically for high tunnels that a ton of people apply to. So they're also a good contact because when you apply for the grant, they'll come out to your property and kind of assess like where a high tunnel would work, what you'd have to do, stuff like that. But I'm always here to support in any way to be like, does this make sense for your business right now? And I mean, where we are, a ton of people have high tunnels because it does make sense. You have like extend your season a little bit, can harvest for longer, can plant earlier, things like that. It can be really helpful. 
one thing that makes the farming worthwhile is when you add value. What are some of the things that a farmer can do to add value to his product and how does he work that into his business plan? You can add value in so many different ways. So you can do like the physical of value-added products. So like in the meat industry, value-added, that's sausage or like pate, something like that. Or in produce or orchard work, you're making jams or jellies or salsas or tomato sauces, stuff like that. You can always do value-added in that way. But I think the other way to think about it is like value-added in the specialty of your produce. And you don't need everything to be special. Just like having one thing be very special that you've added so much value into and not like the physical creation of a tomato sauce, but knowing you have a really special garlic that everyone will buy is adding value. Like you've taken the time to really specialize that one product and that's what brings people in and then they're like, oh my goodness, your garlic is so good and you have all these other vegetables that I can buy at the same time. So I think another thing of value add is that when you have them, it can bring them in to buy that value-added product, but it also can bring them in to see all the other things that you're selling. And that can possibly increase your production as well because you're like, I'm selling so much more because I'm just bringing people in because they love my salsa or they love this very specific sausage I do, stuff like that. And I think there's a lot of ways to do it. You can't do it on your site if you don't have a commercial kitchen for the salsas and sausages, stuff like that. So you have to find a way to produce it elsewhere. And that's a whole other thing. We actually do have a commercial kitchen that you can rent out at CC Sullivan called the Catskills Kitchen. And people do that. Businesses will rent it out and make their products here. So that's an option. Or you can bring it to someone that makes salsas and makes tomato sauces, but they just use your products in it. So just depends on what works for you. Well, I've seen a variety of value-added products. I saw somebody who makes ice cream from her cows. Yeah. At the farm I was at before, we did pumpkin butter and salsa and pate and all these different sausages and tomato sauces. Right. And with the maple, that's not exactly farming. Still is, yeah. But they make candy and variety of maple-related products, so there can be many ways to increase the value of your product. Definitely. Then there's the sales end of it. So, Taylor, how should the farmer decide whether to sell wholesale, restaurants, private consumers, whatever? Yeah, I think it depends on a lot of things. I think it's first what you really want to do. You could want to do it all, and I've done it all, and it can be really exhausting when you do it all. Or you can start with farmer's market. Produce, you can start with a CSA and a farmer's market. For wholesale and restaurants, restaurants technically count as wholesale to a certain extent. You really have to plan out your crops according to what your restaurants and your wholesaler want to buy. And that can be hard sometimes because things go wrong. So you need to make sure those contracts or relationships protect you if something goes wrong. And then for wholesale, like I've done very large wholesale and that is a lot of infrastructure required. A lot of crops, a lot of harvesting, a lot of single varieties because we're selling like large wholesale, a very fancy wash and pack facility, very large coolers, all that stuff. But like for restaurants around here, you could do like a smaller restaurant wholesale thing and you have a really strong relationship with that chef or with that restaurant manager, 
And you don't need the big wholesale infrastructure, but you do need the support within your business to be able to sustain what the restaurant needs throughout the season. So I think it depends on what you want to do. I've done them all. I've literally been at a farm that I've done a CSA, a farmer's market, restaurant, and wholesale at the same time. And it is very tiring and has all of its own pros and cons. I think another reality too, thinking of wholesale, is delivery. Do you have a vehicle? Is your vehicle refrigerated? Do you have the time to drive to New York City twice a week? Do you have the time to deliver to a bunch of different restaurants? The markets and the CSAs and the restaurants and the wholesale, I think farmers sometimes forget that their time and their labor is worth money and is a cost. So if you're driving 10 hours every week to New York City, is that made up in how much you're selling for, what you're making off of that product? And I think it's that balance of figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, and I mean, CSA is a great model too. There's a lot of back-end planning and organization for that that people don't always realize, a lot of computer work. So it's just different pieces and what works for you and what you want to do. If you want to have a really strong local presence, markets and CSAs. Or if you really want to get your food in specific restaurants, like if you're a farmer in Calicoon and you want like your presence to be really strong in Calicoon, talk to restaurants, see if you can sell your products there. So like everyone in the area knows about you. I think it's a matter of what you want to do, which is a hard decision. (laughs) Of course, Taylor, people, they don't just farm because they want to make money. (laughs) They usually have other reasons for wanting to farm. How do you weigh the lifestyle advantages of farming Yeah, I think there's so many reasons why people come into farming. And I feel like it's so specific for each person. Like, I went into livestock for a reason I never knew I was going to be interested in farming. I never knew farming was on my path. So I think it's always remembering what brought you in and keeping that in the forefront of your mind always. And I think also what brought you into farming should also be a drive in your business. I went into livestock for a very specific reason and that really drove how I interacted with customers, how I talked about our meat products, how I managed our animals. Always remembering what that lifestyle is and why you're in it should always be on the forefront of your business or like a pillar of why your business it is because sometimes you can forget about it when you're harvesting in the rain all day or like driving for hours on end for deliveries and I think that lifestyle and remembering why you went into it should always be like a big part of your farm business plan or a big part of your farm goals. Taylor you have get-togethers and classes and so forth do you want to list some of those things that are coming up? Yeah our next one is going to be on December 4th it's a Monday at Somewhere in Time Farm in Parkville, which is in Sullivan County. So that one's coming up. We have some workshops that were being planned out right now. I'm trying to plan out a crop planning workshop in December. I'm going to do a funding webinar series. I'm finalizing the dates right now. That'll be December, January, February, March. And then next year, we're going to have a lot of stuff going on, starting your farm workshops, workshop specific thing about introduction to specific production practices like orchard, livestock, vegetables. And then our really big thing right now is our mentorship program. And then if anyone has questions about the mentorship application, they can contact me, but it's all on our website. And then the mentorship officially starts 
February 5th, 2024, and it's for a whole 12 months. And then we'll notify people in January if they've been accepted as a mentee. That sounds like it would be fun for the mentors particularly. Yeah, also if there are any farmers out there that want to be mentors, just contact me. I'm always looking for farm mentors just because I want to have a range of folks and a range of operations. So that's really exciting stuff. And then our farmer mixers are monthly. So we'll have one in January, February, March. They're always happening. I'm always trying to find farms to hold them at. So if anyone wants to host a farmer mixer at their farm in Sutherland County, you're welcome to contact me. My email, tea46 at cornell.edu. And then the other one is beginnerfarmer at cornell.edu. And then my phone number is 845-292-6180. And my extension is 130. So now you know what you'll be facing if you're setting up a small farm. My guest this morning was Taylor Adam from Cornell Cooperative Extension in Sullivan County. If you can suggest a topic or an expert for my next interview, email me at stephanie at wjffradio.org. This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. Here is Brent Habig from Two Creek Regenerative Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania. Brent came to our Liberty Studios back in November for a comprehensive interview, which included these thoughts on seasonal labor at Two Creek Regenerative Farm. It sounds like quite a large operation. I think of you as a small farm. Let's talk about the labor that you have on your farm. Is your labor seasonal? Yeah, well, this is what we call human-scale farming. So we're farming on 100 acres, and we have a very high production level, and a lot of that is due to labor. We're rotating animals daily. Uh, all of our veg work is also manual. We're not using tractors or mechanization for that. We also have processed products. We're cleaning and packing all of our eggs. So the amount of work going on is quite a bit to keep all this running. We do have some seasonal labor that's coming on, local paid labor that's coming on for the uh, main production season. We also, this past year, added two apprentices to that, and this is a, a model through which young farmers, new farmers, can learn about regenerative agriculture and be able to stay through one production season on the farm and get the experience under their belt, hopefully, that they would need to start up their own farm. So that offers some labor, but there's a lot of training investment there as well. Hired labor is, in a sense, more predictable to get things done. And the apprentices, you really have to think about that as a, an educational investment rather than just a huge amount of labor. And then, yeah, we have year-round staff for things like processing our eggs, so on and so forth. But the, the core of that is myself and my family were engaged in, in the farming every day. That was Brent Habig from Two Creek Regenerative Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania. 
TwoCreek.net has details on their regenerative farm practices. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guests, Taylor Adam, Beginner Farmer Program Manager at Sullivan County Cornell Cooperative Extension, and Brent Habig from Two Creek Regenerative Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM, on your phone or smart speaker, and online at wjffradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org on this week's On the Media, what is the result when Israelis are only shown a sanitized version of the IDF's bombardment of Gaza on their TV screens? They do see the destruction, but they don't see the human cost. The result is that Israel is very much still on October 7th. Don't miss this week's On the Media from WNYC. Saturday afternoon at 4 on Radio Catskill. I like Ike, I've shouted over 